You know, I talk about this as the Super Bowl or the Game 7 of the World Series or whatever you want to call it. For Christians, today is a pretty big deal. And I think if we really grasped, if we really understood just how significant it is, I don't think that the, the world would be able to stand how much noise we made. So when I say, He is risen, and you say, Just think about what you're saying. The guy that one day was in the grave no longer is. He is not dead. He is alive. That is the great news that we celebrate today. That Jesus was dead, and today and forevermore He is alive. That is incredible news. And before we get on and talk more about that, we need to talk about something that's a little less comfortable for us to talk about. Because a part of all of the passages that cover these events in the Bible, there's mention of the grave and the tomb. And we need to talk about the grave. And we don't like to. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. None of us want to think about it. Because at the end of the day, we realize one day, that's where we're going to end up. One day we too are going to be brought into a grave, lowered into a grave, brought to a tomb, and we're going to move in and that's where our earthly remains will stay. So let me ask you something. As I'm thinking about that, I think about King Tut's burial chamber. I think about Muhammad and his in Medina in Saudi Arabia. I think of Confucius in China, Buddha in India. You can visit every one of them. Did you know that? You, you can go and visit every one of those burial sites. But you know what else they have in common? They are all still occupied by their original owner. The man that they put into every one of those graves is still there. The very dead, very earthly remains of all of those people still occupy their graves. No matter what they did in this life, they are still there. And, and yet there's people today who revere and, and in some cases worship, give their entire lives to those guys. And yet they're dead. Not us. Not here, not today. Today we celebrate that the tomb of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, is empty. You don't get to visit it because there's nothing there to see. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We celebrate that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. A lot of famous people have died. Every one of them else, every other one of them stayed that way. But like the angel said to those women that first resurrection Sunday, you are looking for Jesus. He is not here. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And that is something to celebrate. Every other religious leader in the entire history of the world died and stayed dead. Not a one of them ever, ever made the claim that He would come back to life or that He did come back to life. But Jesus did. In fact, Jesus promised that He would. He told His followers a long time beforehand. And what the Bible tells us and what the witnesses in the days that followed had to say is the same thing, that He has risen just like He said He would. And because Jesus kept that promise, because Jesus defeated even death, and because we know that that promise is true, there is nothing in this world that's too big, that's too much, 
that's too powerful or too frightening for him to overcome. There's nothing you've ever done, nothing you will ever do is more than what Jesus can overcome. There is nothing you will ever face and nothing you will ever fear that Jesus cannot overcome. And we know that because Jesus even overcame the grave. See, Jesus suffered and died on the cross as payment in full for your sins. Today, we celebrate that even though those sins required Him to die, He did not stay dead. He rose from the grave to a new life. He defeated death. He defeated the devil. And He defeated the worst of human evil and arrogance. And He showed that not even the weight of all of the sin of all mankind was enough to overpower the love of God. But here's my question for you. What does that mean to you? It's one thing to understand that as historical truth, but it doesn't mean very much if it isn't personal to you. What does Jesus' death and resurrection mean to you? What it can mean is that when you submit your life to Jesus, you are changed. When you accept the free gift of forgiveness that He offers and and that we accept in faith, and we put our faith and hope and trust in Him and Him alone, that free gift that was not free to Him, it, it cost Him suffering and humiliation and death. That free gift cost Him His life. But what it can mean for you is that you can be changed. So I'm trying to figure out how it is that we can put this in terms that maybe we can understand a little closer to home. So I came up with this. Come up with the name of somebody in your mind who you know is really rich. I mean really rich. Right? That person shows up at your house and they say, You know what? I've been watching you for a while and I really appreciate how hard you've been working. I appreciate how much you've just been trying to do the right thing and it seems like life just keeps knocking you down and throwing you curveballs. But you know what? You get up every morning and you keep trying to do the right thing and I want to help. I want to do something to try to help you out. And this man or this woman says, here's what I've decided to do for you. I'm going to give you this check. It's for a million dollars. Put it in the bank. You don't owe me anything back. This is a gift. Just take it. Now, if that check came from me, you would wisely tear it up and laugh. But if it came from someone that actually had the money, you would take that run, bank, excuse me, you would take that check and you would run to the bank so fast and you'd sign the back of it and you'd put the money in the bank and you would wait to see that million dollars show up in your account. Am I right? Because you believe that million dollars is going to change my life. That million bucks is going to make everything better. Everything that I've been struggling with, everything I've been trying to do, that million dollars just solved my problems. But here's the thing. We know because there's a lot of people that have won the lottery. And there are folks that have gone and they follow them and say, well, who did they become after they won the lottery? Here's the deal. You can get a million dollars. You can put it in the bank and that can be your money free and clear, a free gift. Here's the thing. It doesn't change you. You're the same person that you were before you had it. And what the lottery winners over and over and over have shown is with so many of them, all that money does is gives you more ready access to get yourself into a bigger mess than you were in the first place. Money doesn't change you. And yet if someone offered you a million bucks free and clear, you would take it and run. 
And yet Jesus promises that when we accept His free gift of salvation, we are changed forever. The old has gone, and He creates in us an entirely new creation. We are literally transformed by the free gift of Jesus' death and resurrection and the forgiveness of our sins. So when we give our lives to Him as a way of of submitting ourselves to Him in gratefulness for what He's done for us and, and for recognizing that Jesus really does have a better way for us to live our lives than we come up with on our own because even though you might have a million bucks, you're still the same person. You haven't changed. When we begin to live, live as a disciple of Jesus and not a product of the darkness of the world around us, we realize that we're promised a new life and we begin to understand what that means. The, the Bible says that you literally become a new creation. The old you has gone. The old you has died in its sin and a new you is created when you give your heart and your mind and your soul to Jesus. That's the promise of Jesus. And it's true because we know that Jesus is a truth teller. He's a promise keeper. He does just what He says He will do. So when we look at the Gospel passages that, that describe this first resurrection, the Gospel writers all take a little bit of a different angle talking about the same events. In the Gospel of John, John likes to focus on individuals and kind of tell the, the events that happened from the eyes of one person. And John chooses to talk about Mary Magdalene. All the Gospels say she was there, but John likes to talk about Mary Magdalene. talks about her visit to the tomb that first resurrection day. And she arrived expecting that what she was going to do was carry these spices and perfumes and that she was going to have somebody that would help her with the big stone that had covered the door and that she would go and do as is the tradition of the Jewish people to anoint the body because after not very long it begins to smell not so pleasant and she wanted to anoint Jesus with the very best that she could and so she arrived with that. And she arrived in great sadness. And when she got there, she looked up at the tomb and what she saw was that the huge stone that had been covering the door had been rolled away. And she looked inside in her sadness and she saw that the tomb was empty. And, and the Bible tells us that the, the claws that had been wrapped around Jesus' body were lying there, but the cloth that was over His head had been neatly folded and set aside as though someone had spent great time and had, had given care to what it was that was going to happen to that but He was gone. And Mary looked in and, and in her sadness all that she could see was that Jesus was gone. Whether it was the, the Romans that just didn't care, whether it was the church leaders who wanted Him dead in the first place, somebody had done something to the body of Jesus. And she, she ran away. She ran back to the other disciples. She said that Stone has been moved. The grave is empty. And they all went running in the Bible. And John says that one of them got there sooner. And he looked in and sure enough, there was the face cloth, the, the head cloth that was neatly folded and set to the side. And those guys left trying to figure out what had happened to Jesus. Who took Him? What had become of Him? But not Mary. The Bible says she stuck around and she just cried. She stood outside the tomb of Jesus and sobbed. 
After a bit of time, she looked into the tomb again, and this time she saw two angels. One was sitting at the place where Jesus' feet had been. The other was sitting at the place where Jesus' head had been. They had not been there a moment before that they were there now. They looked at her and they asked her why she was crying, and she said, because someone has taken away my Lord, and I don't know what they've done with His body. In her sadness, she turns around and there's Jesus standing before her. She didn't recognize Him right away, but He began to talk to her. And she realized that He was alive. He had a new body. He was very, very much alive. And He was talking to her. And her response was that she ran to the other disciples and she said, and I love this response, she said, I've seen the Lord. Despite everything that she had seen the last few days resulting in His death and burial, she knew that she had just encountered the risen Jesus. See, Mary knew who Jesus was. She was a friend. She was a follower. She was a female disciple. She was a financial supporter of His ministry. She was also the very first person, the Bible says, encountered the risen Jesus. That's no coincidence. A, a woman, and, and a lot of it has been said about Mary. Much of it is made up and not true. But what we know about her is that she was a woman of an uncertain reputation. And once again, Jesus presents Himself to the most unlikely of people. Who is going to listen to her testimony when he's, she says that Jesus is alive? But Jesus presented Himself to her first. And that, and that gives me hope. That because Jesus loves her, because Jesus presented Himself to her, Jesus is going to love me. She give you hope that Jesus will love you too. See, here's the thing. Mary knew it was Jesus. She, she didn't allow the events that she had witnessed that told her completely to the contrary. It can't be Him because dead men don't get up and appear behind you after they've been in the grave for three days. She didn't allow everything that she had seen to influence her. What she focused on was she was standing before the risen Jesus. Now, as we read these passages in the Bible, mostly they're about Jesus, right? They're about Mary and the other Marys, the disciples and the angels. There's Roman soldiers that are a part of it. And all of those people make up these passages. But here's the thing, and I don't want you to miss this. All of it is for you. It's for you. It's, it's not for the sake of a of good historical reading. It's for you. Jesus arose from the grave to a new life. He was literally resurrected from the dead. And He was dead because of our sin. And the Bible makes very clear that our sin kills us. Our sin causes pain and suffering and heartbreak and heartache and death to others. But sin kills. You know that's true in your life. Your sin kills your joy. Your sin kills what might otherwise be a positive attitude. Your sin kills relationships. Sin kills the connection that, that we have been born to have with God our Creator. Your sin kills you just like my sin kills me. So I want to ask a, a very important question. Might might honestly be the most important question you ever deal with in your whole life. As we celebrate the very real resurrection of Jesus from the dead because of our sin, I want to ask you this. 
What does it mean to you? What does it mean for you? Who is Jesus to you? We can read all about it. We can study it all that we want. But you know what? If the closest we ever get is that, yeah, that was Him and this is me, then it doesn't mean anything. Not for you. So what does all of this mean for you? Who is Jesus to you? See, we know that Jesus' resurrection is for our forgiveness and for our new life. But what does it mean? I can tell you that all day long. But does it mean anything to you personally? Maybe I should ask it to you this way. If sin kills, and you know in your life that sin kills some of the very best parts of you, what do you need to be resurrected from? What has your sin killed in you that you need to be raised to new life from? There's things in every one of our lives that are literally killing the very best of what God created us to be. And they seem like simple things. They seem like not that big a deal, but you know, they somehow manage to steamroll to the point where we can't even keep them under control anymore. Things like anger, hatred, addiction, unforgiveness, gossip, pride, jealousy, things that we can simply overlook, but things that we choose and things that prevent us from being who God created us to be. They prevent us from seeing Jesus. Because what happens is that they begin to close in all around us. Sometimes what it feels like when, when we sin and we don't have a good relationship with Jesus where we know that we're forgiven, it feels like this valley, this chasm. We can't get from where we are to where we really want to be no matter what we do, no matter what we try. Sometimes it feels like a wall. You can't see yourself to the other side of it. You can't get over it. You can't go around it. It's just got you stopped in your tracks. Sometimes maybe it feels like quicksand. That no matter what you do, it just keeps pulling you in and pulling you down. And you know you need to change. You know you need to quit. You know you need to do something different. And you cannot do it. That quicksand just bogs you down. And you know it's going to kill you. Or maybe it's more subtle. Maybe it's like darkness. As you continue to choose to sin, the darkness presses in. And before long, you don't even realize it, but you recognize you don't really see the light anymore. You don't really know where to go or what to do or how it is that you're going to do it. And it becomes darkness that you just cannot see your way through. But all of it, no matter what it feels like, is sin that we choose to engage in. It was human sin that put Jesus on the cross and in the grave, and it was the immeasurable power and love of God that raised him to new life. When Mary arrived at the tomb that day, it was in great sadness. Her teacher, her friend, her Lord and her Savior was dead. A man she knew well because like a lot of other people, she'd spent a lot of time with him. She knew what he looked like and she knew the sound of his voice. And when the risen Jesus spoke to her, she knew who He was and despite everything else she'd seen, everything else that her life had taught her about death, she knew that it was Him. She knew that Jesus was alive and she saw Him. So today as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus to new life, 
What does it mean to you? What does it mean for you? What does Jesus mean to you? Do you know Him? Have you seen Him? Would you know Him if you did? 2,000 years ago, people enjoyed Jesus' company all the time. There was large crowds that followed Him. He had the disciples and a close group of friends, and it, it, it seems by the Bible that they spent pretty much all of every day. That The Bible makes note of when Jesus tried to go away to a quiet place for a little bit of time by Himself between He and God. People were with Him all the time. Today, we don't see Jesus with our eyes that way. So how do we see Jesus, even though we can see Him all around us if we know what to look for, if we're looking for Him, if we're able to recognize Him the way that Mary did? See, we see Jesus in the life of people who have been transformed by His love. When we know the old person and we come into contact with the new creation that Jesus has made in their lives, we see Him at work. We see Jesus in the eyes of people who have a peace and a joy that goes beyond our ability to understand or comprehend it when we know the pain and the suffering that they've been through. They're maybe not happy every day, but there's a joy that cannot be extinguished. We see Jesus in the eyes of an innocent and trusting child. See, we can see what He's done, but you're never going to see Jesus until you know who He is personally. See, the awesome thing is that when you truly start seeing Jesus, you start to see the people around you the way that Jesus sees them. The way that you interact with the world around you is transformed right along with you. And at the same time, you start seeing yourself the way that Jesus sees you. See, Oswald Chambers, he said, being saved and seeing Jesus are not the same thing. Once you have seen Him, you can never be the same. Other things will not have the appeal that they did before. When we accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord and we submit our life to Him, the sin that presses in all around us that feels like quicksand or darkness or a wall, that sin doesn't have the same appeal. We just simply don't want to do it anymore. Why? Because you have made a decision? No, because you have been changed. The sin that you embrace will not have the same appeal. And that, at that point, when we encounter the risen Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can proclaim like the blind man that Jesus healed. They came after Him and they wanted to trip Jesus up. They wanted to know if He was a sinner. They asked the blind man and he answered this, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. The blind man was forever changed because he met Jesus. It wasn't anything he did, it's what Jesus did for him. In the Gospel of Luke it says, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Outside of a living relationship with Jesus, i got news for you. You're just another one of the dead walking among the living. You ever been desperate? I mean, really, really desperate? Completely, hopelessly desperate? Hopelessly sad like Mary was when she went to the tomb that day? Have you ever been in that place? 
You can understand Mary. You can understand that blind man. When you've run out of all options, there's nothing you can do for yourself. When things become so much, too much for you, that you finally realize you have no other hope in this world, no amount of positive thinking, no amount of self-help, no amount of money, no amount of hard, hard work or willpower is going to lift you out of the life of sin that you are in. Nothing is going to lift you out of that quicksand other than Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the only one who can do that. See, when you come to that point, that's a really good place to be. Because when you call on the name of Jesus, the name of the risen Jesus, you can join Mary in that, that, that eternal chorus that is able to say, I've seen the Lord. See, today we don't celebrate Jesus' death. We don't celebrate that He died. We celebrate that He is no longer dead. We celebrate that the tomb is empty. We celebrate the risen and living Jesus. And because He lives and because He's a promise keeper, He says you too can live if you will only believe in Him. So who is Jesus to you? What is this celebration to you personally? The good news that we have today is that Jesus says because He lives, we too can live. And here's what we know. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. God, thank You for doing for us through Your Son Jesus what we could not do for ourselves, and that is to pay the price for our sin. It's so easy to take it lightly. But over the last few days and weeks, we've been focusing on just how not free that gift of our salvation is. It was not free to Jesus at all. It came at a tremendous, a horrific, an excruciating price. And God, He did that willingly for us. Help us, God, never to take that for granted. Help us not to take it lightly. And God, we ask in the power of Your Holy Spirit that You would put a desire in our hearts to stop living for ourselves and to start living for Him. It is in His name that we pray and give you all thanks. Amen. Um, finally, four corners of our church, we've got our prayer team, and they've been here all morning long. And, and the reason is not because, uh, because there's something wrong with you, but our prayer team is there because you realize that there's something very right about God. And so maybe this morning you're at the point where you say, you know what, I'm tired of doing it on my own and I'm ready to start my eternity with Jesus. Would you please go talk to one of them and, and they'll pray. It'll be confidential. They'll walk you all through it. Um, maybe today's the day God brought you here to the hear the unchanging truth of His love for you. Maybe today's the day you start living with an eternal purpose. Um, you know, last thing, we've been talking about it and it's cool because the ministries that we're launching and what gets me is... Not everybody knows that He's risen. Not everybody knows that He's alive. Not everybody knows that Jesus loves them. And we just want to be about being a church of people that are passionately pursuing Jesus and getting that message out there. So one more time, He's risen. And we got one more song before we go. Thanks for coming. I want to say thank you to all these people up here and some of our tech people. Um, 
This has been kind of a long morning. They were here before 6.30 this morning to get started. So thank you to all of you. You have just been unbelievably awesome and amazing. Those of you doing tech and uh, all the stuff around behind the scenes, thank you. But thank you all for coming. It's just an awesome thing to celebrate that we serve a risen Savior.
most wonderful Savior, and He has already proven that He would literally do anything for you because He loves you that much. Now go and share it with the world. Have a great week.